Cargo Cult is a production of Radio Nemo West. Cargo Cult is all about the movies, books, music, and moments that help shape the lifestyle of not only the trucking industry, but also the American obsession with being on the move. What if something just like jumps out in front of you and you have to stop? You don't. What was that? A Mazda. Host Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn engage in a wild, free-form discussion with folks from both the transportation and entertainment worlds. I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a show that's all about the journey. So far, we're doing fine. Hadn't got caught. And now your hosts, Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn. When we last left our cargo cult explorers, our adventurers in the uh, transportation movies, moments, and magic that have actually helped shape the trucking industry, when we last left uh, our good friend Felix Blackwell, who has joined us again. Hey, Felix, good to see you. Hey. And our good buddy Justin Wellborn, who takes this ride with me on a regular basis. Hey, my friend. Howdy, brother. I didn't get a chance in wrapping up our talk of slasher films to ask both our friends Russ and Sam what their favorite slasher movies were. So we're going right. to actually start with uh, you, Russell. Would you do me a favor and uh, let people know uh, what what movies that involve uh, young women getting cut to pieces and then Johnny Depp cut to pieces that you actually enjoy? Yeah, basically teenagers or 20-somethings playing teenagers. <laughs> I feel like a tr- tr- kind of a trick question. <laughs> You're like, hey, man. We've led wh- you in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you uh, like about uh, killers killing these beautiful young women? And I'm just, I don't want to say I like wow. any of that. Come on. Um... I I have to say, and maybe it's because I was a kid in the 80s who, um, like a latchkey kid, every kid was sent off to summer camp every summer. Yeah. Yep. Friday the 13th is always going to have a special place in my heart Yeah. Uh, where the axe will, will go. Here, here. <laughs> so, so there you go. So Friday the 13th is kind of my gold standard. My, my summer nice. camp, as we get Sam kind of set up here to tell us his uh, favorite slasher movies, my summer camp when I was growing up was called Camp Mary Hill. That just sounds like people are getting killed, doesn't it? We're going to Mary Hill, mm. you know, Mary Hill, <laughs> where nothing is merry and everyone is dead. Hey, Sam, what's up, man? Hey, um, you guys mentioned it. I definitely think it's probably Nightmare on Elm Street just because Freddy Krueger actually has like a personality and yeah. I feel like every other person where it's just like, okay, it's the silent killer and you can kind of fight back, which you see in the like 2018 or yeah, 2018 Halloween where the sheriff, I forget his name, he actually drives into Michael Myers and it's like, <laughs> finally somebody fights back versus Freddy Krueger, it's like, well, how do you fight somebody who only appears in your dreams? Oh, right. The scariest, it's man. Such a, it's such a good point. I mean, it's like, and it's, like I said, it, they keep getting closer. They come for us at our, in our suburban homes. They come for us at the safe place of camp where we have protection and counselors. They, and can have sex. And can have sex. We can just be out there in the lake for the first time getting some and, uh, uh, <laughs> and I've then, been penetrated. And then they come for us, and then they come for us, <laughs> ignoring the previous comment. <laughs> then they come for us in our dreams. Um, now, here's something interesting. Which actually, Wes Craven was inspired by real events that uh, apparently among three Hmong uh, survivors from the uh, Pol Pot killing fields, that these people had such terrible dreams, these, the, these men, um, that they kept themselves awake as long as possible until the point that they 
they just died or they they fell asleep, woke up with such terrible night terrors that they they died. And Wes Craven took this idea, Jesus. which I, I mean, I cannot imagine anything more horrible. If you've ever stayed up for like, you know, a, a day or two and you're just pressing yourself, but that your memories or your dreams are so terrible that the the idea of going there is not as safe as staying awake. This is something that I think is a great premise for a horror movie. And and this is why Freddie really takes the cake, man. Yeah. I'll tell you what's so interesting, too, about it. That, that This particular show, we've managed to work in Jim Jones and Pol Pot. And I'm really <laughs> excited about the prospects. Of, okay, I got a really cool thing here that I want to do to kind of set you up for what you kind of want to talk about here, Justin. So we talked about Roger Corman being kind of ground zero for how directors got their start in the 60s. The studios, of course, which at some point in the 70s with Bob Evans kind of leading the charge, figure out there's money to be made here if we can only figure out formulas. One of the formulas the studios figure out in the mid-80s and early 90s is the best way to figure out a young and new directing talent, whether it's Rennie Harlan, uh, who ended up doing um, Die Hard 2, directing one of the sequels to... Um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. It's still the case. Um, yeah, it's still the case. Horror it's, movies give, are the, give, give a new director yeah. a horror movie and see what they can do. Horror with it. movies are the great kind of ground zero. They're the minor leagues, and I don't mean that as a dismissal of that because minor league baseball is like incredibly entertaining, wild, and wonderful. But they're smaller budget. It takes imagination. Can you do something original with this? Do you see where I'm going with this in regards to what you want to talk about right now in the movie that you've been kind of uh, obsessed with, kind of us kind of dealing with? Well, I I did push this one through because it is one of my my very favorite kind of gritty atmospheric beautiful in a stark western kind of way because it is the one and only Catherine Bigelow from Hurt Locker and all these great films that she eventually makes this is her first zero dark film. vampire just oh, oh, oh totally which is probably the grimmer movie of you know of these two i am of course talking about the movie near dark hey man we keep odd hours this is one of the most quotable movies that i've ever seen mm. it's like every line is just some juicy nugget that they give to the actors finger looking good hey remember that fire we started in chicago you just get little bits of dripping vampire history it throughout and so Catherine Bigelow is is dating James Cameron at the time who is just off his gigantic success of aliens and she wants to make a western but at the time and now we have skipped forward in time so it's 1987 she she wants to make a western and at the time nobody wants to make one now Clint Eastwood has just ran that horse into the ground. And so we, we've seen all those. And and now, I mean, nowadays you can make a Western. It's almost like a horror movie. You know, there's so many Western sets. There's so many Westerns out there that it, it's kind of a cheap way of making a movie. And was told, Catherine Bigelow was told, like, give me a spin on something. You know, just, you want to do a Western, but we, we can't just do that. And so she... She makes it a vampire film. And now this is the same year that Lost Boys comes out. So we've got two big vampire films, but so totally different. One is obviously meant for a wider audience, which I was on board for that. I didn't see Near Dark for People a few are strange years afterwards. When you're a stranger. You know, sack solo, go. Um <laughs> We're gonna have a good time yeah. tonight. Rock and roll. Sorry. My favorite part of this show is when you begin singing. It always is. It's the worst. Um so it, she mixes in this entire idea of nomadic vampires, which when I saw this movie, I find it really fascinating. They kind of throw away all the old tropes of vampires like holy water and crosses. As a matter of fact, Lance Henriksen uh, has a cross on one of his pistols. And Catherine needed some 
some some juice to really make the movie that she wanted to, which obviously James Cameron was able to provide because he throws her not only three actors like Bill Paxson, amazing, Lance Henriksen, and uh, Jeanette Goldstein, who plays the eminently likable uh, tough girl Vasquez on, in Aliens. Um, but because they're a cinematographer that he loves, Adam Greenberg, who, you know, goes on to make other James Cameron movies and Arnold Schwarzenegger. He gets an Academy Award for Terminator 2. So she's got some really good talent to to hold up her movie. But we've also got people like Adrian Pastar, who who plays the lead, Caleb, who is basically a young redneck in a nothing town uh, who just sees this pretty girl one night that he doesn't know. And, you know, one thing leads to another and she kind of gives him a nip and all of a sudden it's it's we're off to the nomadic vampire races. Great inciting incident, by the way. Oh, just stick around for one kiss. It's yeah. always one kiss. It's and just that. <laughs> and, let me sleep on it. And it baby. doesn't take a, an entire <laughs> a, a, an entire event. You know, it, it, it's just kind of a little hey it's friday night we're bored you know uh, a kiss turns into a bitten lip turns into i've got to go before dawn and then he's suddenly smoking you know burning on his way home you know with this taste for blood and then suddenly these these vampires show up in a Winnebago, which is just so good. They have blacked out this Winnebago. They're armed to the teeth. Bill Paxson, who is just one of the best character actors ever, ever. is God playing rest Severin. His soul. Lance Henriksen, who originally they wanted Michael Bean for it, but apparently Bean was like, I don't know what this movie's about. And Lance is in pure Lance Henriksen way. I'll do it. <laughs> you know, if and it takes it just, a millennial, uh, I'll do it. And apparently. They loved making this movie. They spent, I mean, the, it was a 47-day shoot, 40 of them at night. Now, I've I've done night shoots for- 40 days of night. F- I mean, it, mm-hmm. it is grinding, and you literally begin to call it vampire life because you were living the opposite of the entire world. By the time the sun comes up, you need to go to bed. That's when we stop shooting. And they had histories. They were looking into making the next near dark, Lance Henriksen- had this whole history of how he was a Confederate naval man and how he and Severin met, you know, in Chicago at the time. And it, it, there was just a whole camaraderie of these people that were going to be this vampire tribe. And I think that's one of the strengths of the movie. Um, now, you do get movies like Fright Night and Lost Boys that are right at the same time. And they are pulling for a different kind of audience with the same trope. You know, it's the E.T. problem. Vampire. The E.T. You know, problem yeah, happens E.T. in your E.T. versus Alien. You know, the, the thing. The, E.T. versus the and thing. the thing. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Which one is it? Is it the threat? Or, and are we going to use the traditional vampires? Uh, of course, the sun. That seems to be the common element that the sun will destroy a vampire. But holy water, crosses, stakes in the heart, all of those things. The vampires in Near Dark just ignore all these things chop your head off that works you know that's well, it they, they might be able to grow it back even in this although they get shot a lot it seems when the big gunfight happens with the sheriffs that it's not the bullets that are doing them harm it's the sunlight, sunlight. that's coming through the bullet yeah. holes that i think is so much fun all fire. of this by the way 
to Tangerine Dream soundtrack, mm-hmm. which is... Let's throw a little Michael Mann in there while we're at it. I mean, right, it's like, I mean, exactly. because basically... With, 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 with the oil pumps in the background while he's feeding on her arm, mm-hmm. you know, just to stay alive. I have a, a, a one other connection that's really fun since you were making connections about, you know, Robert Eglin throwing leaves, right? James Cameron was the special effects supervisor, the computer special effects supervisor for Escape from New York. And his work as a screenwriter, both on Rambo 2 and Escape from New York as a, as a special effects guy, is what gets him the opportunity to direct The Terminator. So which, strange. Which, wow. of course, is yeah, also yeah, yeah. one of the great independent sort of where did this come from? Is this horror? Is this science fiction? Is this a thriller? What the heck is it? And that sets the table for him to get the gig picked by Ridley Scott and Walter Hill to direct Aliens, which then sets the table for all of this. And you think about the fact if Cameron isn't working for Carpenter, does any of this happen? So strange, And it's such a a small community. And and also just the influences of the Terminator from things like Westworld. Yoel Brenner's just very stark, moving, killer robot, and and, and which is also one of the first times that they do a computer animated uh, uh, POV. For the killer robot that is, of course, right. just shopped right into which is, Terminator. Which, you know? yeah, which is it's so interesting too because that killer uh, POV that you talked about was Michael Crichton, whose birthday was um, um, whose birthday is in October. And since we are still talking Halloween here on Cargo Cults, just did a whole thing about that movie directed by Crichton. Westworld is the first time that two dimensional computer effects were ever used in ever a movie. Used. Right. And then you get to um uh, Escape from New York, which is the you know, which is Cameron's great work when the uh when the glider the comes The glider, in, that's all oh, the his so view good. is Carpenter right. I mean Carpenter Cameron designed all of that. And then of course the same technology that Cameron had been perfecting on Escape from New York For ends up being part of Terminator. Yeah. I I have a weird feeling about Near Dark. I, I kind of want to talk about here is the fact that I, in rewatching it, and there is so much to admire and so much I do enjoy, and God Almighty, some of those performances are off the hook. I do have a problem with the fact that I don't always know what kind of movie it wants to be because it's got the Hitchers kind of Eric Red, let's blow up a lot of trucks and yeah. a lot of stuff on the road in these kind of random that's not what causes an explosion sort of way. Even if you count the vampires. <laughs> there, are, there definitely are. A truck tips over and explodes. And, and, and a pretty good screenplay that obviously Bigelow has a hand in there because you can see it both in the Hurt Locker later on and then in Zero Dark Thirty where the- She actually wrote it with Eric Gray yeah, from yeah, The Hitcher. Where yeah. the signposts are there, but they're much more organically handled. Like the opening of that movie yeah. is just gorgeous. I mm-hmm. mean, the lovely kind of tete-a-tete between- um, between our cowboy hero and the young Caleb and May and the, and the played by Jenny Wright is great. Yeah. I just, I feel like, and you have to, uh, you have to invest in that, uh, that love affair, that, that connection between them, because she actually protects him from the other vampires that when, when they kidnap him, they're full well and willing just to kill him right there. And they give him like, you've got a week to show you that, you know, you're one of us. And she lets him, feed off of her and you know that connection which also leads eventually to him moving to save her at the end and 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 try and do what his father does for him which is remove the vampire virus somehow through a blood transfusion being a vet he has that technology type but but by the way on on a a really kind of cool note we always talk about going under the hood and fixing movies i can fix the hitcher i didn't even realize how you could fix the hitcher in one in one step 
Thanks for listening to a preview of this episode of Cargo Cult. Like what you heard? Hear more from Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn exclusively on the SiriusXM app. Subscribe today at SiriusXM.com.